Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Plunge, your favorite highbrow, toilet-themed politics and pop culture podcast. We're just now wrapping up yet another shitty week. Michael Flynn is squealing like a pig as part of his plea deal to get people to forget about when the Turkish state paid him and his moronic son to kidnap a dissident cleric in the Poconos. The White House is overrun with even more vermin than you thought, but it's still decorated to the nines, or should we say the six-six-sixes. Melania's occult Christmas decorations mark an auspicious start to the annual war on Christmas, and we'll see how the other brave defenders of the Goisha Messiah's birthday are gearing up. In other palace intrigue, Trump had a busy week of shitposting, and we'll go into the reasons Twitter stated for allowing his racist reposts to remain on their page. In the brand new Plunge Finance Corner, we're happy to report that the heinous GOP tax bill made it through the Senate, and we'd like to issue a little congratulations to our rich listeners. May you forever be merciful on us proles. In the pop culture corner, we'll fill you in on the legal battle brewing between the Weinstein brothers of Sex Pest fame and Michael Moore, who is finding it hard to get his latest documentary out of post-production. We'll also pick apart Keith Olbermann's farewell video and bid adieu to our least favorite flag-draped fuckwad. In this week's story time, Dan and I will tell you about some Christmas tales from the conservative cesspool we grew up in. We're talking about Bergen County, New Jersey, and we're going to relive our favorite and not-so-favorite Yuletide memories. It's a great show, and if you don't like it, you're with the terrorists. What if I told you, it's episode 7 of The Plunge! Hey! Hey! Christmas is, well, let's just say Christmas time is coming, rapidly approaching, and we figure it's as good a time as any to do some of our more holiday-themed stories, perhaps, Sam? Of course, it's the magical, most magical time of the year. Now, we are both uh, the type of Jews who celebrate Christmas, so I don't know. I guess we're, you know, we're true Americans. <laughs> real Americans. Now, another real American who's been in the news a lot the last few days. Um, Sam, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, two fellas uh, who share the name Michael Flynn? Michael G. Flynn Sr. and Michael G. Flynn Jr. They're a dynamic duo of real, uh, you know, they're a crack team. And and the best part is you can't even tell which one is the fail son. To uh, his own father, Sr., I'm sure, is uh, uh, his own sort of fail son. But, hey, uh, apparently uh, the uh, Sr., Flynn, will plead guilty. To lying to the FBI. And he's going to sing like a canary. He's going to, like, I think he's going to testify that Trump, like, directed him to get in contact with the Russians. Why is the resistance jizzing themselves over this? Because this is the, this is the collusion charge they've been looking for this whole, they've been, like, screaming for almost a full year now. Over a year, actually, I guess, that uh, Trump was, like, implanted by a foreign power. And they now think that they have, like, this smoking gun evidence. Or that they can at least tell everybody, like, oh, you know, we were right. (laughs) So to get into the weeds of what 
he has admitted to. It seems that Flynn lied to the FBI about meetings with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak, who he looks like. What is Kislyak's, like, physical appearance to you? Like, he just looks like he's been dead for, like, a decade and, like, at the bottom of a lake. Like, he's inflated. He does. Uh, yeah, Kislyak kind of looks like the Russian version of uh, Sam Clovis, actually. Uh, we uh, definitely have plenty of dis- discussions of that sort of appearance in our Sam Clovis episode. Um Initially, uh, Flynn had suggested to Mueller that he did not have these meetings, and now he is admitting fully that not only did he have these meetings, there were repeated contacts. Yeah, um, I think they released a bunch of documents um, as part of uh, Flynn's plea agreement that uh, show that the his discussions with Kislyak were part of like a coordinated effort to like create foreign policy before they were in power, basically. So like you were saying, like, a, you know, essentially promising a bit of a quid pro quo by saying we will ease sanctions or be sympathetic to easing sanctions if uh, I guess you help us, you know, get into office. And the boy wonder wunderkind as they say jared kushner apparently (laughs) provided flynn this directive so this is definitely part of kushner's daddy issues he also wants to go to jail for like white collar crime apparently send him to alabama book him (laughs) boys the coldest part would be definitely if his dad didn't visit him in jail (laughs) i mean honestly i wonder if their relationship is a more of a one-way street but this Flynn thing is just hilarious because this guy was vile even before he joined the Trump administration. Obama fired him when he was like a de- decorated general because To be of... fair, to be fair, Obama's also the one who appointed him though. <laughs> well, sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> just entertaining. <laughs> yeah, for, definitely, but wasn't didn't he have some like radically islamophobic uh statements in his past and yeah, I think that's like that was a large part of like why he was kind of pushed out of the intelligence age, uh, industry, and then um, he had then he like dropped out and he founded like his own consulting like an intelligence consulting firm, um, you know, classic DC move, um, and then that firm which he runs with his his son um, was involved in that plot uh, to like kidnap this Muslim cr- cleric exiled in the Poconos, <laughs> so he was working on behalf of like the Turkish government. I think they were. Like, like half a million dollars to do it. Right. Now, Pocono is a great spot to be exiled to, honestly, but it was kind yeah, of interesting nice because there. apparently this guy that the Flynn uh, father and son duo had tried to extract and failed, um, <laughs> the Turks thought he was behind the revolution or the uh, uprising in 2016. Yeah. Um... And I think that that's, like, another reason why he's so willing to sing like a canary um, is because... They have a paper trail to the money laundering. Yeah, it's it's some... uh, He's in hot water over this as well. (laughs) So... If you're not following Michael Flynn Jr. on Twitter, at least, like, poking around on his Twitter sometimes, you're really missing out. He's a very weird guy. Um, Aside from, like, Mike Huckabee's son, like, he's definitely, like, a prime, a large adult (laughs) son... 
like example. And I wanted to bring up two paragraphs from the New York Times article about, uh, you know, the reporting about Flynn uh, from yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, so. Uh, prosecutors said they would delay Mr. Flynn's sentencing, a sign that their investigation was not over and that they had not exhausted Mr. Flynn's cooperation. Lying to the FBI <laughs> carries a penalty of up to five years in prison, but court documents indicate Mr. Flynn faces a likely sentence of zero to six months in prison. Because he pleaded guilty to lying, Flynn has hurt his credibility as a witness if he ever offered evidence against someone else at trial. But... Mr. Flynn's cooperation could still be valuable in guiding Mr. Mueller's understanding of the campaign's contacts with Russia, even if he cannot directly implicate anyone in a crime. So this tells me that he's basically barely going to be punished, aside from what you told me before the show, we started taping a small fine. Yeah, it's like a fine and maybe a little bit of like nominal jail time. It's not like the sweeping, you know, treason charges that I think the resistance has been looking for. No, and those are seeming less and less likely by the day as uh, Flynn uh, joins up with Mueller now to, uh, as you said, sing like a canary. <laughs> yeah, but it, what's funny is what you were talking about in the uh, New York Times article, how Flynn's, like, not really the most reliable witness because he's either a liar or an idiot or both, <laughs> depending on his mood. <laughs> he's just yeah, like so he's, he's, no... <laughs> Yeah, even they said Mr. Flynn hurt his credibility as a witness, so it's like <laughs> they can't even put him on the stand. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, he's also, Dan, he's selling his, he lives around here in Northern Virginia. He's selling his house because of his, like, legal, his extreme, like, legal fees um, and expenses. Hell yeah. <laughs> I guess that Turkish bribe couldn't <laughs> cover it. Yeah. No, this just goes to show that, like, if you're going to get involved in these, like, high stakes, like, international deals. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you can't be Flynn dumb. It's not for any idiot. You gotta have your wits about you. <laughs> no, that's true. And, um, it seems that Trump, uh, still maintains his position that, uh, Michael Flynn is a very good man. Very nice man. <laughs> Trump is, like, the least reliable narrator in the Trump administration because he's definitely the guy who knows the least and has the highest urge to lie out of all of them. <laughs> he is by far the, his word means absolutely nothing to me. Well, I think if you take him at his word, you're doing yourself an immense disservice, whether you're a supporter of his or not. I think there's an enormous segment of his supporters who don't take him at his word. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, actually. All those profiles, um, sort of like the one we read last week, um, or no, the week before. Yes, by Michael Cruz in Politico. I feel like they, a lot of his support is predicated on, you know, the idea that, like, oh, he said those things, but he's not that racist. He's just saying these things. So, like, even they don't think he's reliable, <laughs> but they'll still turn around and be like, oh, like, Obama and Hillary lie all the time. I'm like, well, so does, they all do this. You should just be opposed to the idea of government, not one particular, like, you know, governor or other. So, ironically, there are both figurative and literal vermin in the White House. Yeah, that's right. In the in the week, there was an article all about um, 
how the White House is literally infested with like mice um, and roaches <laughs> and ants. One, Let's uh, not forget ants. Yeah. So, so like Donald left like a chicken bucket out, and here we are. <laughs> I just want to like read read taco some, bowl. I just want to read some passages from this article in the week. We'll link in the show notes. There's a situation in the situation room. White House order re- <laughs> work order requests obtained by NBC News Four reveal a number of intimate details about the first family's lives in DC. Melania requested a large screen TV. The Oval Office bathroom needed a new toilet seat. You had to fit Donald's fucking huge ass. But if there is one major takeaway about managing a historic building, it's that you can't be squeamish about pests. To start, there are the mice, which reportedly got cozy in the Situation Room, and the Navy Mess Food Hall. Add more traps! They spotted mice run in the small and big dining rooms, one request read. Another alarming request implored someone to, in all caps, PLEASE! Dot dot dot, PICK UP DEAD MOUSE! With the deceased rodent's location apparently being Vice President Mike Pence's West Wing office. Yeah, well, that's because it might have been a female mouse, and he's not allowed to be in the same room with another woman who's not his wife. And he can't even, like, touch the mouse to get rid of it. He's like, oh, my God. He definitely, like, got down and prayed to, like, think about what he should do about the dead mouse in his stupid office. I mean, this goes to show, like, Dan, uh, D.C. is, is like, a a waterfront town. Waterfront town, you get vermin. Um, Most specifically, you get, like, the fucking rats. Um, And you get mice. I mean, also, like, I think most people I know in this area have told me that, like, their buildings have one infestment or another, either cockroaches, because like definitely the most common right, one. But those are pri- right, but those are private properties or they're owned by companies or they're owned by like the state or whatever. This is like the White House. This is supposed to be okay. a whole That's the, true, the but, home that's of, true like, but all these buildings are ancient. That's the thing, is like all these buildings are fucking ancient. Um, this is back when like people, you know, coexisted with the vermin. Like the White House was built at a time when like DC was just like a, a like literally a swamp with dirt roads. Um, and it's only like come a little ways since then so it's just funny to me i mean like we were talking i think before trump even like moved to the white house about how it's a mat he's gonna think it's disgusting compared to like trump tower and shit uh because it's just this ancient government building he's never worked private uh, public sector in his life it's so this is i guess the shock we're getting a couple um, of other work orders say treat for ants in the West Wing first floor COS office, especially the main entrance and the small <laughs> office. Like they're everywhere. Another simply conveyed the urgency with its all caps ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty tropical down here in the summer, so the vermin just proliferate. The, the <laughs> thought of like Donald Trump like stepping over like a, like a rodent to like take a shit at like three a.m. and tweet is so funny. Like. No wonder why he's so uh, stressed out. I like the idea of him sitting on like his, uh, you know, specially made golden toilet seat, um, and like a mouse crawls up on his shoulder, and you know he's so like senile. He's just like, "Hey, my ma- little mouse friend, it's good to see you again. Uh, have you seen what the libs are tweeting about me <laughs> on this Twitter website that I'm on frequently?" <laughs> but- <laughs> Sam, I'd like to posit a question. Do you think a mouse told Trump to tweet this? Now, I know he tweets such bullshit all the time, but this one this week was hilarious. And thank God for Twitter (laughs) extending the 280 characters so we could get all this. 
we should have a contest as to which of the networks, plus CNN and not including Fox, is the most dishonest, corrupt, and or distorted in its political coverage of all of your favorite <laughs> president, parentheses, me. They are all bad. Winner to receive the, all caps, fake news trophy. Yes! What the fuck was that? Like, we should... Trump's a thought. We should have a TV contest. I love it too because all like the all the liberals in media are like, you see this? This is government censorship. This is Mao. This is Stalin. And I'm like, look, he's just tweeting gibberish. Like he's like, I don't like CNN is a big poopy. Everyone's like, he's a fascist. I mean, he's just like shitting himself into the wind. There's nothing going on in his brain. There is no coherent narrative of what is going on aside from the constant stream of like fox and friends yeah and uh i mean there's definitely a dark side to that with these uh like the horrible um islamophobic videos he was sharing from what britain first that like uh you know islamophobic like far-right website (laughs) yeah and it was so uh atrocious that even the just deplorable pierce morgan said uh tweeted out that this is unacceptable and trump should undo the retweets but i'd like to just say that's kind of a stupid perspective like telling him to undo the retweets because the damage is done once he tweets he's got 44 million followers it's not like if he undoes it that means anything he did it yeah that's definitely true like sam what do you think that's an adequate do you think that's an adequate response what, just telling him to delete it? No way. I mean, also, I, I don't know, how, like, how much... Obviously, these videos are heinous. Um, one of them is, like, of, you know, ostensibly, like, Muslims throwing a guy off the roof. So, you you know, the president is just casually, like, retweeting a video of someone dying. Right, is, one of them was, like, a Muslim beats up a handicapped, like, white boy. Which was fake. Like, that was also a... That, that one was confirmed to be fake. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, like, I, it's, if someone told me that all of these videos were fake, it's extremely believable um but what is kind of funny is like the you know policing donald trump's shit posting i guess it is pretty funny that like you know these elite journalists now have to discuss this and treat it with the same seriousness they treat their their i i it's what's really been interesting is having to try to have you know this academic critical brush with someone like trump who's just so idiotic and foolish and um (laughs) without any sort of principles or direction aside from like his i don't know innate like bigotry and like selfishness and shit posting um (laughs) dan i just rewatched the one uh my favorite one of the three videos he shared Uh, like all these videos are still up there because trump doesn't give a fuck he doubles down but uh it's muslim destroys a statue of Vern piers morgan yeah yeah piers morgan could not get him to delete these videos what with his british accent and you know gusto but um (laughs) my favorite of these three videos is this guy destroying a statue of the virgin mary like i have never watched it with sound on but he's just holding this like like stat, ver, stat, statue of the Virgin Mary and ostensibly saying something and they just throws it on the ground like yeah fuck it's the Virgin Mary it's so funny <laughs> it's the war on Christmas it's already started but um 
Oh yeah, my let's, God. let's keep in mind our holiday theme here. The yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the unofficial kickoff to the War of Christmas is that video of the Muslim man destroying a statue of the Virgin Mary. Um, Did you see, though, that he tweeted Happy Holidays like twice this week? Yeah, of course he did. What is happening to this administration? I voted for Donald Trump so that he could bring back the respect, the honor, the prestige (laughs) of Christmas. Dan, do you want him to tweet out, like, Happy birthday, Jesus. This season is about nothing else. (laughs) That's it. Happy manger day, everybody. (laughs) So... Worst take on the uh, Trump retweets of Britain first has to go to New York Times golden girl, Maggie Haberman. Good Lord. This one's so shitty. She said, after 9-11, George W. Bush urged tolerance. Today, POTUS tweets antagonized an entire religion. (sighs) No, not like fucking going to a fake war with people that didn't even attack us uh not, not like that caused any islamophobia yeah nothing says true tolerance like declaring the longest war in history <laughs> leading to like hundreds of thousands of innocent deaths and yeah well you were still you've fucking heard... fighting these wars but you've also heard how like the um I think there was a story that came out recently about how uh, I'll try to find this for the show notes because um, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But um, how basically the, like the CIA, there's a lot of suspicion that they've been like drastically understating the number of um, civilian deaths since like the Iraq War started, basically. Um, and under Trump, it's gotten like the drone strikes are so much more lethal too, and I'm sure they're underreporting it. I mean, I think that this argument that like Bush is worse than Trump because he started the Iraq war is going to fade quickly because I do think Trump is going to get us into military engagements in North Africa and the Middle East that are going to be so much more bloody because like there's just no not that Obama was like really that much of an opposition to the military during his time as president but there's just nothing now I mean like Trump doesn't fucking care Trump could it wasn't Trump in like some meeting during the campaign where he's like, why can't we just use the nukes? It would be so easy if we just use nukes. Like, why? what are you guys thinking with this conventional warfare? <laughs> the last thing I want to say about the Trump Muslim videos is, um, Dan, you were talking about how like these professionals have to like, you know, journalistic professionals have to look at, like evaluate these tweets and this, these shit posts and, and develop opinions on them. And I want to mention that, um, the like I've read a bunch of the legal opinions for like um, Trump's immigration related stuff and um, specifically the the temporary restraining order against his most recent travel ban that Derek Watson in Hawaii filed um, used his tweets from his during his presidency and before like during his campaign as evidence of his bias against Muslim people. Um, like, in the legal opinion, it cited specific tweets. Like, back then, he was talking about Muslims and talking about banning Muslims. So they extrapolated that to be like, this is how it's easy to see how, even though Trump says this isn't a Muslim ban now, you can ascertain the intent, both from the com- countries that it bans and from his previous statements, like, explicitly saying that he wants to restrict m- travel from muslim people so uh i think i think we're gonna see a lot more of twitter being like literally in legal opinions and government documents i mean it's it's a wild thing 
Another interesting development uh, related was that Twitter had to justify why because why they left these retweets uh, up because they clearly violate uh, Twitter's uh, <laughs> terms of use, which <laughs> says you may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, blah, blah, Jeez. blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on. So Jeez. Twitter said uh, to help ensure... People have an opportunity to see every side of an issue. There may be the rare occasion when we allow controversial content or behavior, which may otherwise violate our rules to remain on our service because there is a legitimate public interest in its availability. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Jack Dorsey, someone I actually saw as someone... Uh, pulled up Jack Dorsey retweeting Sam Harris. <laughs> so I think I think we know what Jack Dorsey thinks about Muslims, and he's completely cool with Trump doing this shit because he doesn't fucking care, and he's a craven, uh, you know, money vacuum. Yeah, I mean these detached billionaires are just—they're <laughs> gonna—they'll be the death of all of us, Dan. But um, Dan, let's get to the good news in the White House. Speaking of the death of all of us. That is basically the theme for this year's White House Christmas decorations. Yeah! <laughs> Fucking black metal, pagan, evil, dope, goth Christmas in the White House. Melania is very silhouetted in all these photographs. And you know it's the middle of the day, so why are all the lights out? It's really strange. Yo, Dan, these are the coolest... Fo- okay, so we're talking about Melania's... Um, Christmas decorations Uh, and specifically it looks like there's some hallway in the White House where there are these like bleached white sticks um, coming like in pots. I don't know if this is a tree with no leaves or just a shitload of twigs. (laughs) They look like um, like bundles of sticks that are like spray painted white. Yeah and they're like 15 feet tall and they like line the hallway um, and then at the end, there's a Christmas tree. I think um, Brian Gar uh, on Twitter said that it looked like the um, the last place that you can save your video game before you have to go into the final boss battle. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like this long hallway where everything is so fucking dark except for a few like lanterns hanging from the roof. It's just like, uh, where did this? interior design idea come from it does not speak festive happy you know white house christmas this speaks to just utter despair i mean we could read this as melania's despair or i mean i think it looks dope uh number one maybe melania is secretly like pretty metal um but the other way to read this i think is Um, that the war on Christmas is about to turn ugly. Before, Christmas fought back by being fun and festive and having Santa Claus and shit. This year, it's gonna get fucking real, Dan. It's gonna get pagan. It's gonna get occult. It's gonna be, it's gonna be like a nasty war on Christmas season. It's gonna be great. The war on Christmas is something that Donald Trump has been extremely vocal about. He is in favor of putting the Christ back in Christmas. Santa is white. All these classic arguments. Um, God, isn't it fascinating, though, that in this uh, uh, Eve Pizer, a great writer at Vice, put together uh, an article about the Melania Christmas decorations and actually included this pretty interesting tidbit about how Melania has always kind of been a Christmas goth. 
That's ill. She includes in this article, which we'll link in the show notes, some uh, decorations Melania has tweeted out in the past. And I, this one's really strange. There's one that looks like a, it's like a hedge that's clipped to look like a, some sort of Christmas demon. It looks it's, like Godzilla. Yeah. And she enjoys uh, Dark Nights by the Fireplace. I, you know. Yeah, it's a one from 2014 of like a, a darkly. Uh, maybe she's just bad at taking pictures, <laughs> but it's just like a dimly lit, like very like ornate with lots of like wrought iron, like fireplace. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I think I just can't look at these bundles of sticks in the hallway here in the White House without thinking of just some, I don't know, like some somber Game of Thrones sort of. <laughs> Uh, it's a very medieval, um, harkens back to a sort of puritanical Christmas, I think. <laughs> well, uh, I think also it's funny that, um, you know, the Christmas tree lighting was, I think, what, yesterday? And uh, <laughs> they're in Elite Daily, they had an article about how, <laughs> there's this picture on Twitter uh, that Sam Sweeney from ABC put up of just vacancy oh my god vacancy nobody 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 showed up to this fucking christmas tree lighting why'd they set up so many chairs if nobody was coming dan these are the real because the war on christmas um to be specific folks is not really a war on christmas it's christmas's defensive war against everybody else um so what we're seeing is that the the christmas's defenders like the zealots are now a very elite focused and small core of, you know, they're like the three percenters that, you know, the militia group. They're, um, they've got this dark black metal Christmas aesthetic. Uh, they don't give a fuck if nobody shows up to the Christmas tree lighting because they're about, it's about to get ugly. Like they're about to just fucking unleash some evil on the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, Sam Sweeney from ABC in his tweet with that just insanely barren photo of empty chairs at the Christmas tree lighting commented that. Traditionally, the White House Christmas tree lighting is standing room only. Yeah. Insane. In past years, it's been packed, but now it is literally... There is... It looks maybe a third full, and that's just from this angle, so who knows. I don't know if if Trump has talked about it yet, but he's definitely going to be like, oh, there were no people at the Christmas tree lighting because D.C. is overrun with the Jews. Spicer's going to come out and be like, there were more people there than there ever were before. <laughs> He'll pop out of like a hole in the ground. <laughs> he probably lives around here too. <laughs> he probably lives in Northern Virginia. Spicer probably has like an eight-figure job. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. Um, so Sam, uh, I don't want to delve too far into this because honestly I don't feel like we're the most qualified like money men to discuss this, but <laughs> why don't we just talk about this horrific tax bill that the republicans seem to have pushed through overnight without letting anyone read it republicans were marking it up with pen like some pages were discarded because they had an x through them of the bill and some pages had a line through it i think senator bob menendez tweeted that it was just really weird yeah um so i think um the democrats motion to adjourn until monday to give themselves time to read the bill um and they fucking the republicans did not <laughs> they uh, voted against it so i think it's basically cleared the senate at this point 
Um, and now it's, I mean, the house is just the fucking wolf pack at this point of just like conservative hell. Um, so the, some of the more heinous stipulations is tax bill. It cuts like a shitload of money from, I think, Medicare. Um, it enshrines like the tax cuts for the rich that we've seen since like the, you know, since like the Bush administration that have been so steep. Um, all the Republicans that are supposed to be cool or whatever, like, you know, Bob Corker and fucking Jeff Flake have been supporting this bill, which goes to what we've been talking about, how like people who nominally oppose Trump still generally agree with like all of his fucking like legislative or policy ideas. Right. This meaningless, Um, no, this meaningless Jeff Flake will come out and be like, Donald Trump is inappropriate. And the liberals, (laughs) liberals be like, Oh my God. Jeff Flake, this guy, like Ben Sass, we love these guys. And then look, they f- stab you right in the fucking back. Yeah. I mean, one thing. They agree with him more than they disagree with him. For sure, for sure. One thing I'm giving the Democrats credit for is that I've seen a lot of, like, you know, like Kirsten Gillibrand and people have been tweeting about this and, like, making it kind of, you know, keeping people informed and, like, ready to protest against this and, you know, call their congressman and do, you know, all the fucking shit we need to do to prevent these fuckers from taking shit away from us, like, every month, it feels like. Um, And there were protests all across the country. I think 36 people were arrested um, on the floor of the Senate, like... Uh, so there's been really good like mobilization and opposition to this, but there's also been uh, there was an awesome article in Politico about Gary Cohn and Steve Mnuchin, two of like the more greasy you know finance boys in Trump's uh, fucking arsenal. Uh, oh, Steve Gary Mnuchin, Co- the the producer of Suicide Squad, <laughs> yeah. the foreclosure king, uh, who's our Treasury Secretary, and then uh, Gary Cohn, who's one of his. Uh, economic advisors and this article in politico uh talked about how both of them have been kind of like stumping for this bill but unaware of how bad it looks for these two like obvious banking boys to just be like come on it's great uh there was one really funny thing um about like gary Cohn uh told reporters that with the one thousand dollars that the average american family is likely to save from the proposed tax plan they can renovate their kitchen and buy a new car <laughs> for a thousand dollars you can buy a new car <laughs> wait a thousand a month or a year it's not gonna be a month so a year a either way car? the idea you what, can't what you buy, buy a new like car a with a thousand dollars toy. No, because that pre that presumes that you have enough money saved up to buy a car, oh but you don't. God. You're waiting to pull the plug because you like, want you need you you need to like pay your rent. So you it's like, not like more than half the fucking country isn't living paycheck to paycheck. You yeah, fucking break. Well, yeah, I think like more than half of Americans don't even have a thousand dollars in the bank. So I think most people would be like, "Wow, my savings just doubled." <laughs> But Gary Cohn doesn't fucking know this because he's he's just a fool. Um, a few weeks later, speaking in front of an audience of chief executives gathered in Washington, Cohn expressed shock that their hands stayed in their laps when they were asked whether they planned to increase investment under the new plan. Uh, why aren't the other hands up? Cohn wondered out loud. Like He's like, why aren't you guys jumping at this opportunity to make more money? And they're all like, dude, this looks so bad. You're the worst fucking person. Like if CEOs are like, dude, you're looking pretty fucking, you know, plutocratic right now, then you realize that you were in, like, a broken society. And then, of course, there are the pictures of Steve Mnuchin holding up, like, sheets of money to, like, his Bond villain fucking <laughs> wife, Louise Whitlinton, who, like, has the craziest leather outfit on. 
<laughs> she looks like she's in the Matrix. <laughs> oh, and uh, I just wanted to bring up Megan McCain. Uh, John McCain's daughter has been attacking Ashley Feinberg, who's a pretty good journalist and uh, pretty funny on Twitter. She tweeted, Ashley tweeted, congratulations to John McCain's wife and children on their upcoming tax-free inheritance. When McCain uh, announced his support of the bill, uh, she since deleted this tweet, but now Meghan McCain is resurfacing it and attacking her and tagging her employer, the HuffPo, in the tweet. It's so disgusting to see Meghan McCain, who's never worked a fucking day in her life, who never had to fucking earn anything, who can rest on the laurels of her, like, Viet Cong slaying dad. Like, just, it's it's so absurd that someone with so much, like, power and wealth would waste time, like, getting offended at some fucking, like, joke. Like, it's absurd. And honestly, she is standing to benefit from this tax bill, so... (laughs) What the fuck are you pretending here? Yeah, that's just like I was with the Steve, the Gary Cohn and the Steve Mnuchin thing. Just these rich people have no fucking idea how to act. Um, they don't realize how out of touch they look. And, and in the end, Dan, I think it might be a good thing for us because then that makes them easier to like deal with. I'd rather people just expose themselves as like the fools they are, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when they go down, it's always sweet. Dan, I think we should get into the uh, the pop culture corner for this week. It's the Christmas season, and we're going to honor some of the heroes fighting to defend Christmas from Jews like Dan and myself and people who think that Christmas is kind of a tacky waste of money. So, Sam, on New Orleans' website, NOLA.com... Oh, my God. Okay, so uh, apparently Trump was in a St. Louis suburb at the St. Charles Convention Center, and uh, he was selling, like, the, you know, heinous tax bill we were just talking about, but he appeared on stage with twin symbols of the of his vision of this country's heritage, a pair of American flags, and a row of Christmas trees adorned with white, or red, white, and blue ornaments. He oh said, I told God. you we'd be saying Merry Christmas again. <laughs> Because they just stopped. No one was able to say it until Trump was elected, obviously. Um, He also said that the tax cuts are a big, beautiful Christmas present to the economy. (laughs) So people are going to be... There are definitely like a billion memes of Trump dressed as Santa Claus. We'll find a picture of at least a few of them to link to in the show notes. They're definitely out there. There's a very good one of him with like an enormous double chin dressed as an elf. And he's like uh, (laughs) Peter Dinklage proportions. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess this is the next step in his, like, dumb cultural wars, which include, you know, yelling at NFL players for, like, expressing themselves and, uh, I don't know, all the other, like, antics he gets into. I think this is actually smart for Trump to do because anyone who believes in the war on Christmas is definitely a Trump supporter. (laughs) Yeah, we need to have him exposed. I mean, if you're really upset about how Christmas is treated in American society and you think it's marginalized, then I don't know how narcissistic you can get. Like, it's, it's literally a holiday of outsized proportions. <laughs> but, uh... Isn't Christmas not even 
accurate in terms of being on Jesus's birthday? I mean, aren't there a million just really ridiculous? Uh... Yeah, Christmas is like a pagan holiday. I mean, as in, not even just in terms of Melania Trump's crazy uh, decorations. Like they, the Chris, having a tree in your home is like some German pagan tradition. Like, you know, who, who is Santa Claus? He's obviously like a magical, like non-christian figure um, sorry to all my like uh devout people who are listening to this but like I, I don't know i think there are a lot of elements of christianity that are obviously not christian like it, it coincides with saturnalia it coincides with like the fucking you know uh winter solstice these arguments have been rehashed on like new atheism subreddits oh. for a long time so i don't want to parrot too many more of them i'm not trying to cape for like pop culture atheists or anything. Um, yeah, we're not we're not Sam Harris fans, and I have re- <laughs> I have renounced Bill Maher finally. <laughs> you don't think it's religious, <laughs> or were you just upset because he uses the N word so comfortably? <laughs> you know, I never really liked religious, but honestly, I just I don't know. I've, once the last couple of years, <laughs> I I just really became more and more aware of how just fucking lame all of Bill's <laughs> opinions are about everything and he's just a complete like elitist who completely just hates poor people and well you know like, honestly that's a theme of our generations is all of our I- we have to accept that all of our idols are dying or like we're never the people we wanted them to be like we've talked about the rise and fall of the daily show on this show we talked about broad city like we talk well, about and we're going to so talk much- about, after we're done with this topic, we have a little Michael Moore and Keith Olbermann yeah. uh, pop culture <laughs> to discuss with you. But, Sam, what the hell is this story with the DC Metro versus <laughs> Christmas? There's, okay. a, there's a lawsuit. <laughs> yes, the Archdiocese of Washington is suing the Metro, uh, not because the Metro is expensive or doesn't run on time or has delays that you can only find out about on Twitter for some reason, but um, they filed arguing that the Metro's ban on subway and bus ads that promote any religion, religious practice, or belief has infringed upon their First Amendment rights. So, the Metro, welcome to the war on Christmas. The Metro will fight for your right to say Merry Christmas. Um, I'm going to start leaving menorahs all over the uh, Metro just to get people riled up, I think. It's like an act of, you know, Jewish, like, guerrilla warfare on my part. Yeah, and just, like, sticker the place with, you know, uh, Star of David's, Stars (laughs) of David. I think it's really interesting to see... Well, the DC Metro, I assume, is publicly owned, right? Uh, yeah, but it has to operate for, like, a profit. But, so this person would be suing the city? I'm not sure. I think I think WMATA is, like, a publicly owned corporation. I'm not sure. Let me Google this. Well, in the meantime, I think it's very important to note that... I don't know. It's so weird to think of Donald Trump's perspective on Christmas, which... I genuinely feel it has to be in the minority, vast minority of, like, Americans at this point. There's not a plurality of Americans who believe Christmas is under attack. It's just, <laughs> that's just absurd. I, I can't, I just, I can't believe that that's true. I also think that the majority of Americans are, like, okay, the majority of people are okay with sharing uh, Trump isn't, and these wacko Republicans that control our government right now aren't okay with sharing. But the average American, I don't think, minds 
being respectful of like their neighbors and shit. I don't I think it's that big an ask to I, I mean I don't even I, I'm not particularly offended by seeing Christmas stuff anywhere. I don't care. But uh I guess I don't even think about it. And honestly yeah. I enjoy it. It's not that I don't think anyone has this great like bigotry against Christmas. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean Christmas is tacky because it's capitalist. It's not tacky because of like Santa Claus or Jesus or anything. Like that just makes it like any other fucking holiday. It has characters and shit. I, I don't know. I, I I don't hate Christmas. I don't think anyone hates Christmas. I just think people want to be treated like with respect and maybe not have their cultures like erase you know what's also funny dan is like like i don't know how you feel about hanukkah but i'm like hanukkah is a pretty unimportant jewish holiday and because of christmas people assume that they have to treat it like jewish christmas just because it happens around the same time yeah it's absurd and it's people always would ask like oh well did you get like 20 gifts yesterday it's like no you get you get like five bucks like it's <laughs> like it's not hanukkah was never the priority you know i did grow up in a household that celebrated both but i don't know hanukkah wasn't this like epic like celebration it was just kind of a a nice thing where you 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 lit the menorah and you, it wasn't it, it wasn't this capitalist just behemoth it's, it's yeah. not what hanukkah is yeah i mean even rosh hashanah like our our new year which is the biggest jewish holiday uh for all you goyim listening um that's, I don't think it goes, it's not on the Christmas level of like, businesses aren't relying on Rosh Hashanah to stay in the black for the year, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's no Black Friday for the high holidays. Sam, what are you talking about? We we uh, make 90% of our profits from the challah. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, right, I forgot that we control the world, too. Uh, That's true. Well, um, well, edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get any other information about that DC Metro case? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, so the Metro is actually like a uh, government agency. So you're right. They're suing basically the government over Christmas. <laughs> um, God bless the USA. I, for one, definitely am glad that the warriors of Christmas will have their day in court. And uh, what's this cartoon you included in the, the show notes, Sam? <laughs> this is in the Salt Lake Tribune. <laughs> it's a um, cartoon. And uh, Bill O'Reilly, Sarah Palin, and Santa Claus are, like, cornered by zombies. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Santa Claus has a huge axe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Santa Claus has a huge axe. Sarah Palin has, like, a rifle, which is in the mouth of a zombie that's saying, Happy Holidays. <laughs> and Bill O'Reilly's aiming a pistol at a guy who's offering a toast to the holidays. Um, someone's saying happy Kwanzaa. Uh, another person is saying happy pagan secular humanist solstice. <laughs> um, and at the bottom As it if says... Santa is like charging with an axe? <laughs> <laughs> well, Santa will be formidable because he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. Like he's omniscient. So he could like... You never know if he's, like, behind you with an axe. He's, like, Freddy Krueger. Sarah Palin has, like, an Elmer Fudd rifle, like, in a zombie's mouth that's saying, Happy Holiday! <laughs> I know, because she's shoving it down his throat. Uh, there's also someone with the with just has a sticker on their hat that says, like, lamestream media. <laughs> I love how weirdly uh, labeled cartoons, especially conservative political cartoons are. There's labels on everything. You have to, like, spend time to see... 
uh, all the little details. <laughs> this cartoonist is trying really hard not to be anti-Semitic because there is no mention of Hanukkah in this, which is, <laughs> to, be, to, be, to, to be honest, kind of shocking. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it, I, it would go over. It would have like uh, made more headlines if um, the Jews had Bill sorry, if, like, was, like, all the zombies had you like... in the face. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, they say Happy Kwanzaa, but none of these people appear to have a race. So uh, you know, that's actually probably a good thing. I don't want to see these like stereotypes banded about in the Salt Lake Tribune. <laughs> but uh... how funny is it that Bill O'Reilly now is commenting about? all of these news stories about sexual assault from his, like, YouTube show. (laughs) It's so depressing. But we're going to move on to an oversized man with an oversized heart. Congressman, trying to get members of Congress to get their kids to enlist in the Army and uh, go over to Iraq. The USA Patriot Act allows for searches of medical and financial records. It gives law enforcement almost unlimited power. They wait till the middle of the night. It's printed in the middle of the night. How could Congress pass this Patriot Act without even reading it? Sit down, my son. Uh, We don't read most of the bills. No one read it. Members of Congress, this is Michael Moore. I would like to read to you the USA Patriot Act. This is Michael Moore versus the Weinstein brothers. Oh, God. So, the Battle of the Blubber. We all remember the highest grossing documentary of all time, Fahrenheit 9-11. Sam, did you see that in theaters back in the day? Uh, No, I did not. But I watched it on DVD about a billion times once it was out, I think. <laughs> well, I saw it in theaters and I saw it on DVD many, many, many times. And Michael Moore... A great, great podcast, if you like this podcast, is called Michael and Us, hosted by Luke Savage and Will Sloan, and they just, they go through the entire cinematic uh, universe of Michael Moore, like all of his movies and all these movies related to Michael Moore, um, and it's a hilarious show where they just kind of, the, the, the conceit is, we used to like this guy so much and he shaped our politics in certain ways, but he is just so ineffective and selfish and ridiculous if you revisit the work as as an adult. Yeah, his movies have not, like, stood up um, for the most part. So, Dan, Uh, tell us about the movie that uh, Michael Moore's trying to make. So, Deadline Hollywood reports, a potential legal battle is brewing between Michael Moore and the Weinstein brothers over Fahrenheit 11.9, the sequel... Michael Moore is making to his 2004 film, which became the biggest grossing documentary of all time. The documentary will commemorate the day Trump pulled off a shocking victory to become the president, and the film will focus on his uh, lead-up to the election and first year in office. So, the Weinsteins purchased this uh, rights to distribute this documentary before the New Yorker and New York Times exposés on Harvey Weinstein's abuses broke. So now Michael Moore obviously wants to pull the film and hand it over to another distributor like Netflix, Amazon, or HBO. The Weinsteins are refusing to let go of the film until Michael Moore pays them back the two million they already gave him 
<laughs> in their deal. Now, Michael Moore claims that Fahrenheit 11.9 must be given back to him because, as shown in the New Yorker article about Weinstein hiring uh, security firms months and months before the story broke to spy on his victims, that the Weinsteins knew that this story was coming, that their company would no longer be financially viable, and still went through with signing Michael Moore's next movie. So, essentially, Michael Moore is in a battle with the Weinsteins to get the deal, and this is an interesting part. If this saber-rattling leads to litigation, Moore would likely seek to undo the deal by alleging fraud against Weinstein uh, for entering into a deal at a time when he knew full well his misconduct was being investigated. (laughs) So, it's really interesting to see this because, I don't know, I don't think a lot of people knew Michael Moore had another documentary coming about the Trumps. This could be a way to generate some... uh good publicity for this upcoming i mean he's a controversial figure but uh michael moore is a controversial figure but the weinstein bros are just like cancer right now they're like i mean people fucking hate them so i think that in the court of public opinion which michael moore i think think he, he thinks he's folksy and personable and that he's like a working class hero instead of just like a wealthy documentarian and i think that's kind of the move for him right now is he's trying to like rally that public support behind this movie which is already clearly very sensational i mean that's something that i think uh you know the podcast you were mentioning michael and us michael moore's sensationalism and his desire to like sell copies is frequently like one of the biggest uh one of his biggest flaws i think in a way so nothing can move forward with the film unless the Weinsteins step aside, like the ball's kind of in their court. And to Moore's camp, cutting a check to the disgraced mogul would be wrong morally, and their feeling is that Weinstein is ironically positioned similarly to where Michael Eisner stood years ago when the former Disney chairman stood in the way of Fahrenheit 9-11's release because it was distributed by Miramax, a Disney-owned company. So Michael Moore is no stranger to these sort of conflicts with his uh, distributors and collaborators. It's not surprising that Michael Moore is kind of a cantankerous individual. (laughs) I mean, I definitely will see this movie just for a laugh, honestly. I do wonder... It almost seems like Michael Moore was preparing his whole career for Trump, you know, for something like this to happen. And he did, I will give him credit, in the lead-up to Trump, he did call it early. Yeah, I remember seeing him talk about the exact... He described in, like, a Facebook post, I think, the exact circumstances that would allow Trump to win. And, like, just... It was, like, a week before when everyone was like, thank God this election's finally going to end and Hillary's going to win. I remember seeing that and just, like, my heart sinking because I think the whole time I kind of knew that Trump had, like, a way better shot than people were giving him just because of how, like, gerrymandered and, like, fucked up this country's, uh, you know, national, like, uh, voting goes. It's just so strange to me. I think ultimately more definitely has a leg to stand on with this legal case because I think there's incontrovertible proof that the Weinsteins entered into distributing this film knowing that this story was coming. So I don't see how they're going to get their $2 million back. But God, imagine fighting over an amount of money that to these guys previously must have been just nothing. $2 million. <laughs> and now, yeah. I mean... 
there is a chance that their company is dissolved entirely. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see how that goes. And Michael Moore, I can't say I'm rooting for you, but I am. I guess I'm on your side in this one. He's not the sex pest of this equation. Indeed. And speaking of pests, I can't say he's a sex pest, but he's certainly a pest. Announced <laughs> he would step down from pesting, and this is Olbermann. <laughs> I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. What the fuck was this video? This was Keith Olbermann doing what he does best, which is bloviating and just spewing his own nonsense. Uh, like, he, he says, he's laying out his case... I think, Dan, we watched this. I I was zoning out, but he got like eight potential routes that Trump could take, all which lead to his inevitable impeachment or resignation. But he's just so confident that Trump is done that he's like, my my job is finished. So I am retiring from political commentary in all media venues. This is not to say a bed of roses and reconciliation awaits us. The post-Trump America will be relieved of his prodigious evil, but in its place it will have Trump as living martyr. That prodigious evil and rank hypocrisy and immorality of his supporters, perhaps a third of us, will not vanish with him, and I'm not sure that the democracy has not been damaged too much to deal with their lawless, unprincipled rebellion, and I do not see this country's politics truly healing in the next 30 or 40 years. But at least the bleeding will be staunched. And we will have a chance to alter a phrase I heard somewhere to make America, America again. So Olbermann basically is creating this narrative around eight scenarios of Trump's impeachment to justify his own choice to retire from political commentary in all forms of media, according to him. This is Hilarious. also just the worst showboating of your personal brand possible. Uh, the literally the like the tagline to his fucking article explaining why he's leaving on GQ says after 187 episodes and nearly half a billion views, Keith Olbermann signs off. Like he just what do you think is the next move for Keith Olbermann, the fucking former I guess MSNBC anchor who's now just a fucking blowhard moron? So since MSNBC, he returned to sports where he did a show daily on ESPN2 where he basically did his MSNBC format complete with worst person in the world on ESPN. I think it worked better for sports than like talking about like complex, you know, political issues. But where does he go from here? I don't know. When you go from politics to sports back to politics does one return to sports maybe he'll take over for uh what's that radio host guy mike francesa <laughs> oh god yeah, if, if olbermann decided to do like terrestrial drive time radio that would be awesome I'd hey hey olbermann FaceTime long time uh the fuck you doing on this show my god my own <laughs> sir sir i will not be spoken to like this Hey, don't make it. Hey, go go blow it out your fucking ass. Have you ever heard of the resistance? Half a billion views. Ugh. 
So, Oberman really just... I don't know how you could watch these videos and take them seriously. It seems to be entirely sensationalized, sort of. I mean, some of the, some of the scenarios he was describing basically said, well, to uh, disclaim everything I just said in the last 10 minutes, all that could be bullshit. But because <laughs> he fired Comey, that's enough. <laughs> like a move that shows that Trump has like wide unilateral power as president is actually an admission of weakness, Dan. You got to think about this on the resistance mindset. <laughs> yeah, so the resistance is done. We wish Keith Oblerman absolutely nothing. I don't care if he enjoys his retirement. Endless failure. I wish him endless failure. Wasn't it funny when he, last year, or, yeah, it must have been 2016, leading up to the election, when he uh, said, I am a hero because I am moving out of my Trump Tower apartment. Oh my god. What an asshole. Complete asshole. I have moved from a four-bedroom to a four-story townhome. Are you satisfied, sir? Sir. So, speaking of assholes... We're going to shut the door on the pop culture corner and move on to story time this week where we will embark upon some Christmas tales from our time growing up in the hotbed of Catholic extremism, Bergen County, New Jersey. That's right. Uh, where Dan and I live is like pretty reactionary. There are, th there are thin blue lines through the two yellow lines in the middle of the road around the corner from my parents' house as, like, a Blue Lives Matter thing. But to tie that back into the Christmas theme, though, the holidays are a time when Bergen County, New Jersey, comes alive. Now, I guess one thing, I didn't know if it was good to start with this or end with it, but I guess we should just start with it. In the church in Harrington Park, I think it's called uh, Our Lady of Victory, OLV, I think... Dan, are you it doxing has, a church? I'm doxing because they have a fucking monument outside of a baby, and it is a tribute to, quote, the victims of abortion. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck That's terrible. You. Fuck you. Oh, my God. Since I was, like, 10 years old, I realized how fucked up that statue was. It, it's not fucking hard. Yeah, there's no, like, statue to the victims of, like, women who are denied abortions or receive like you know where like the government gets in the way of them getting like you know the health care they need uh there's no monument to them they don't care about that life they care about lives like when they come or when they're in the womb and then they care about they don't care about them even like later in life because they're so pro like a lot of these people are so pro-war you know what i mean like have you dan have you met people who are like pro-life and pro-war Hundred percent. Well, it's it's tied into almost like one feeds into the other. That after birth, you're almost thrown to the wolves, and that's almost biblical in a sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, and I guess uh, it translates to like our area is just if you drive around in the Christmas season, people have those inflatable like Christmas Christmas lawn ornaments that have like the big fans to keep them inflated. <laughs> People in urban areas must think this is so weird, because I'm sure you don't have these in, like, Manhattan, right, Dan? 
Right. No. Uh, I mean, you'll see. You'll see. Literally, like the extent of it is just people selling Christmas trees outside of the grocery stores or something. But no, in New Jersey, it's insane. Like the amount of power they must put into these. <laughs> yeah, like enough to like enough energy like, to you know, run. The Grinch, like eight feet tall. Or like yeah, they have they have like festive ones. They're like Santa Claus, or, like the Grinch, or like Charlie Brown Christmas. But they also have fucking um, nativity scenes. <laughs> Like oh. an inflatable nativity scene with like an inflatable baby Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There's so much iconography in like the tacky lawn decorations that our people in our area have. Well, I know There's in my so... town, on the public land by the train tracks, they, they had a nativity scene for years. Then they were like, oh, I guess we have to put in a menorah too. So oh, no. My parents' town... My parents' town still has the fucking uh, nativity scene. It is a nativity scene next to a menorah, which is kind of funny to me, too. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, they were Jews at that point. So. <laughs> Maybe and it's apropos. It's ended up t- as sort of this perverse juxtaposition of, like, really privileged people having opinions about things that probably won't affect them ultimately. Like, basically, what we always talk about how people who claim to be so persecuted really aren't <laughs> and i just think this whole war on christmas thing i lived at least in the sort of environments you know like just being in those towns of middle to upper class people where we're there certainly was a sense that like christmas was supreme christians were supreme and i don't know that monument to the abortion victims kind of says it all (laughs) yeah it does the privilege that it would take to build that it's psychotic and like post 9-11 was kind of i guess when that went up and it's hard for me to think of a justification for that aside from just an insane commitment to a destructive idea for society yeah, for reasons that aren't immaterial, I guess. So, Sam, I figure to get our minds off of this atrocious monument to, like, the stupidity of whatever fucking nun made that decision, um, <laughs> why don't we tell stories of some of our biggest Christmas blunders? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, bummer Christmas. My biggest... Okay, so my biggest bummer Christmas, um, I was, I think... I was in second grade, so I was probably six or seven, and I don't know why I did this. Uh, I think in gym class, um, I thought that the rules of like volleyball were unfair. I was I was six. I have no idea what's happening in the world, and I retaliated against my gym teacher by tripping her with like my foot. <laughs> like she just walked by, and I was like, "Yeah," and stuck my foot out and tripped. Her. And uh, with, you know, I guess good enough reason, I got in a lot of trouble. And I think with like an hour or two left in the school day before our, you know, two week Christmas break, they suspended me. And uh, my family was just... Justice was served. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was a real hooligan in those days. I mean, my parents eventually forgave me, but at first I was like, Christmas is canceled. (laughs) I was crushed because I was like six. And uh, I guess, you know, the way we come up in society and like, you know, late, late capitalism is like we fucking 
uh, look forward to Christmas all year long. It's like, you know, the salvation for being a child. Like, it's all worth it because on Christmas you get gifts. <laughs> and I was like, that that salvation has been, like, you know, you, they, I mean, they literally tell you, like, if you're naughty, you're going to get coal. I was like, great, so I'm bad now. I'm a bad child. <laughs> yeah, there were Christmases where I was so excited that I would wake my parents up at, like, Literally two in the morning, saying, "Can we open? Can we open them now? Can we do it now?" And we would go back like every hour. Did you have a complex about it though? Like I, when I um, if I couldn't sleep, I always thought I'm like Santa's gonna fucking skip the house. Uh, back when I believed in Santa, you know, until I guess I was you know older, like probably after this bummer Christmas I just described. I thought that if I was awake at all, like even if I just couldn't fall asleep, that Santa would skip the house. <laughs> So I would always just, like, lay in bed in fear until, like, the sun was up and then, like, sneak awake. And my dad would never let us open presents until after we had eaten breakfast. <laughs> so That's I just had, tough. like, so much, like, pent up, like, oh, I need my presents. I need things. I'm six. Did your school do a terrible, like, holiday gift sale? Like, where you would buy <laughs> these, like, tchotchkes extremely overpriced for your family. This is definitely real fucking Bergen County hours right now. I absolutely had that at my like <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> we, um, I, I remember getting like my uh, cousins and stuff like reflective keychains and <laughs> shit. <laughs> Ugh. Such garbage. Well, it's interesting. I think individually Christmas was always a really important like just like you said it was just the the pent up the like desire for these things for toys or whatever you know i had asked for uh, you know that year just i definitely can relate to that just no there's no anticipation in adulthood like the anticipation for christmas morning as as a kid yeah once christmas was ruined for me my life was all kind of downhill because they built that up as, like, I said, you know, kid salvation. Right. And I guess for me, it was always a landmark of the year. It was, like, I guess really Christmas and that week after, you know, where you didn't have to go to school. Like, that was, that was a fucking dream. There's no, there's no joy like that anymore. Yeah, now we just work and work until we die. Yeah, and receive like what? What? What's the best gift you're gonna get this year? Like a biography on, like Walter Isaacson's biography on Da Vinci. I'm gonna get like socks. <laughs> the other, I think last year uh, I got this book on um, Bach, a book on Bach by John Elliot Gardner called Music in the Castle of Heaven, which is actually pretty good. So yeah, I'm officially old. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I love getting clothes for Christmas. Socks are the best. Socks are great. My grandma has killer sock taste. And my mom even, my mom makes me socks. That's pretty cool. And Shout out to my mom. Yeah, Christmas, uh, we enjoy generally some fine uh, Italian cooking from uh, the extended family. Uh, Christmas Eve, some sort of shrimp, parmesan, uh, with uh, a lot of spaghetti and stuff. And then... What about Christmas. the Christmas Gabagool? 
with Christmas Day, there's an antipasto platter with the gabagool, the bruschetta, <laughs> the prosciutto, and uh, mozzarella. the later at night, um, some mozzarella. <laughs> the Italian food is definitely something I look forward to more than any aspect of my Judaism, I must say. But <laughs> I would say it's like, as like a, but as a, you know what I love about Christmas? Jew, you know what I love? I am a Jew. I am a Jew. You're just but a Jew like who loves Christmas. pork products. Yeah, I, I like pork. <laughs> well, we can reconcile our multiple identities. In this ever-mixing world of <laughs> many, many different identities and cultures, at a time when some among us believe Christmas is under attack from forces that would seek to destroy it, I think it's important to remember that President Trump will fight the war on Christmas for all of us. Well, unless Keith Olbermann is correct and Trump is finished. And just as Keith Olbermann signed off permanently, may Trump also sign off permanently from the presidency. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to sign off from this episode. And I'd like to quote... Uh, Keith Olbermann when I say that frankly I have not enjoyed one minute of it. Amen. And we'll see you next week. I've made my point. (laughs) Bye bye. And I am proud of it and I repudiate none of it and it has been my privilege to do it and I'm especially proud to have done these videos for free and for charity. But frankly I have not enjoyed one minute of it. As I'm certain it has also been for you, for me, it has been unadulterated pain and revulsion and horror.